This summer, we're preaching a sermon series called To Bless the Space Between Us, based on a book by John O'Donohue, To Bless the Space Between Us. And our uh, scripture texts are taken from the Common Lectionary, the Gospel of Luke this year. This lesson is from chapter 9. When the days drew near for Jesus to be lifted up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But that one said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury the dead. Go and proclaim the kingdom of the Lord. Another said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, we are barely a third of the way through Luke's long gospel when Luke tells us, When the time came for Jesus to be lifted up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That metaphor, lifted up, is a double metaphor. It means first crucifixion and second ascension. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross to die, but then he will be lifted up in ascension to return to his Father in victory. And so this time is coming near, so Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He squares his shoulders clenches his jaw and strides purposely for the capital city of his archenemies, the Romans, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And along the way, three people, erstwhile followers, try to enlist in the position of Jesus' disciples. There is the clueless, the grieving, and the sentimental. First, the clueless. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever I go, wherever you go. Jesus famously says, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Sometimes no is a mercy. For instance, if I signed up to be a Navy SEAL, the astonished recruiter, after he recovers from his bemusement, will gently and wisely turn me aside because I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Sometimes no is a mercy because it keeps us from tackling something we're not capable of or ready for. Like when Jeffrey Clark applies to be the Attorney General of the United States. So that's the clueless. Next comes the grieving. Jesus taps a second candidate on the shoulder. Follow me, he says. And the man says, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus, but first let me bury my father. And Jesus famously, bluntly says, let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch, that's harsh. Now true, Jesus, uh, the man doesn't tell Jesus, nor does Luke tell us whether the man's father is already dead and all the man has to do is take care of the funeral arrangements or whether the man's father is 40 and has 30 years left to live. Either way, Jesus is in no condition to wait. The kingdom, he says, is now. And he strides off to Jerusalem without this guy. 
Jesus taps a third guy on the shoulder and says, follow me. The guy says, sure, but let me say goodbye to my family yet. Once again, Jesus is disappointed and heads off to Jerusalem without this guy too. This is an unsettling text. According to Jesus, the demands of the kingdom are instant, comprehensive, and draconian. And I'm wondering how this is God's word for the likes of you and me today. Maybe, just maybe, this text is, this difficult text where Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Maybe this is, as one scholar suggested, nothing more than an ancient Palestinian hyperbole that was never meant to be taken literally. Sort of like, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Or, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. These are ancient Palestinian hyperboles, and we're not meant to take them literally. Or, so let us hope. Because I'm not sure I even want you to drop what you're doing, your obligations of profession and family, and run off to go to the seminary or the monastery or the streets of Calcutta like Mother Teresa or the Reichstag like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's not necessarily what I want. But what I want for you to hear is the urgency in Jesus' voice when he says, follow me. Because the kingdom is now and it is integral to the health of this broken world. And for someone here, that might mean dropping what you're doing and running off to enlist in the Peace Corps or church world service or the night ministry or joining Sylvie or Sylvie's successor on one of her mission trips. And if you are tempted to poke fun of Kenilworth Union Church for taking its mission trips to Hawaii, Just remember that the Hawaii they came back from is nothing like the Hawaii you travel to. That's what it might mean for some of us here today. For most of us, though, it will mean staying where we are and building God's splendid, irreplaceable kingdom from where we are with what we've got, with our energy and experience and power and position. Just keep doing what we've been called by God to do from the beginning. So, for instance, somebody here is absolutely reeling from the Supreme Court decision on Friday. But in a week or a month, she will figure out how she can help to ensure that every American woman gets equal reproductive care, complete autonomy, and absolute control over her own body and destiny. Somebody here is figuring that out right now. And so as I was thinking about people who are building up the kingdom of God from right where they are, my mind kept going back to Irma Garcia and Eva Mireles. Irma and Eva, of course, were the two teachers who were killed a month ago in Uvalde, Texas. I'm completely undone by the loss of those children. It's incomprehensible to me. just leaves me speechless. But my mind keeps going back to the teachers, maybe because my own daughter is a second-grade teacher. And so Eva, for instance, was 44 years old when she was killed last month. She's been teaching for 17 years. 
15 years ago, when Eva was a young woman and a new teacher, a third grader named Gabby entered her third grade classroom. Gabby has Down syndrome and wears noise-canceling headphones to block the noise and distraction of the classroom. Now, this was a little bit unusual 15 years ago. Most of Down syndrome children were not mainstreamed in the regular classroom. But this is what happened for Eva and Gabby. And Eva would treat Gabby and teach Gabby like she would teach any other student when that was important. But then when Gabby needed extra attention, Eva would give that when that was needed. And Eva was so proud of what this third grade kid did with herself over the years. Gabby's 23 now. Eva stayed in touch with Gabby all those years. And it just made me sit up and notice how much America lost that awful day. But the point is, if we will just pay attention and look around, we will see quiet people working faithfully and slowly and steadily for the kingdom in these quiet ways, just faint whispers, little hints and guesses and intimations of the kingdom. And so we may look for those kinds of things, may as well look for those kinds of things and learn and grow and enlist in the cause. I hate travelogue sermons, and I will spare you, mostly. <laughs> but Kathy and I traveled to South Africa a couple weeks ago. We went to Robben Island off Cape Town, and we saw the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg. And so we kind of came close to the kingdom's assailants, to the kingdom's enemies, and also to the kingdom's refusal to disappear and die. You know, Nelson Mandela and Cape Town Archbishop Desmond Tutu were probably the two most prominent kingdom workers for decades, sledgehammering away at the monstrosity of apartheid since the 70s or the 80s. And Archbishop Tutu used to tell a joke about the South African and the Zambian who were boasting about their respective countries. And the Zambian says, I know the minister of the Zambian Navy. And the South African says, scoffs, he says, Zambian Navy, Zambia is landlocked and doesn't have a navy. And so the Zambian says, well, South Africa has a minister of justice, doesn't it? The 830 crowd didn't get it either. <laughs> we met Christo Brand, who was one of Nelson Mandela's jailers in Robben Island for many years. Now today, Mr. Brand will acknowledge that he was slow and late to come to terms with his own contribution to the evil of apartheid, but he established a friendship with Mr. Mandela. He wrote a book called Doing Life with Mandela. 
Christo told us that for his 60th birthday, Nelson Mandela received 35,000 birthday cards. The Robin Island warden threw every one of them into the furnace without showing him. We also saw the blindingly white limestone ledges where Mr. Mandela and his fellow inmates did their 10 hours a day of hard labor. It was their job to chisel off chunks of limestone from these ledges and chip them into dust. There was no purpose for this task. They didn't need the limestone. They just threw it away. It was a make-do project. And as you can see, these limestone ledges are blindingly white. The prisoners asked for sunglasses, but they were turned down. Mr. Mandela didn't have good eyesight for the rest of his days. So there was a lot of cruelty and unkindness in those places, but there were friendships between the guards and the prisoners, and Christo Brand established this friendship with Nelson Mandela. And one Christmas, uh, Mrs. Brand was legendary for her fruitcakes at Christmas. And one Christmas, Mr. Brand asked his wife to bake a few fruitcakes for his fellow guards. But when he got to the prison, he gave the, gar- the fruitcakes to the inmates instead. This went on Christmas after Christmas. And so one year after Mr. Mandela was released from prison in 1990, he phoned up Mrs. Brand and he said, thank you for the fruitcake. She had no idea what he was talking about. All these years she thought she was baking presents for the guards. And so she kept baking him a fruitcake every Christmas till the day he died. It's an unkind and broken world, but every, every now and then, here and there, there are people who are working to make it a better place, to build God's irreplaceable, splendid, urgent kingdom. And so on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus says, follow me. And I don't know if you'll answer, what you'll answer, what that answer will mean to you. Maybe it means you'll go off to some dark and distant and dangerous place like Jerusalem. Or maybe it means you'll stay exactly where you are and just work for the kingdom slowly, quietly, steadily, and faithfully. I don't know what it will entail, but I do know that it will mean loving the unloved, befriending the friendless, giving hope to the hopeless, freeing the captive, and reaching out always to the least, the last, the lost, the lame, the leper, and the loser. And may God bless you as you tackle this sacred work of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.